Welcome to Hummingbird, conversations about creativity, arts, literature, and life with Catherine Graham and Jessica Outram. Hi, I'm Jessica, and I'm coming to you today from Coburg, Ontario. We respectfully acknowledge that the land on which we gather and learn daily is the treaty and traditional territory of the Michisaugig Anishinaabeg. We are grateful for our relationship with the First Nations of this territory, for their care for and teachings about the land, the water, and all our relations. As people of the Williams Treaty, we continue our journey to strengthen our understanding of our treaty relationship and of how to move forward together in a good way. a nice way to be spending these cold winter days with you on the screen here and with our listeners. So bring on spring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's going to be here before we know it. I'm currently working from home. And the other day I was in a meeting and it was a very serious meeting with all sorts of very serious people. It's a video meeting. And behind my computer is my window and a bird came up of one of those morning doves and, and it flew toward the window. And thank goodness I was on mute, but my arms went up in the air. I think I screamed. The principal who was hosting the meeting, because I work in education as a, as a principal as well, she stopped the meeting and said, oh my gosh, are you okay, Jessica? Is everything okay? I said, yes, a bird just, you know came at the window and I'm okay just caught me by surprise because there's not been anything flying nearby all winter and then yeah. within minutes the little morning dove was on the ledge watching me through the window one eyeball on me for the rest of the meeting oh. and it was very distracting to me to focus on this meeting because of this this eyeball of this this morning dove watching me but I remember that happened all last year mm. as well in the spring is I think maybe Maybe it's the voice that they hear through the window and they're very curious about that. And the rest of the house is quiet and there's just me in this little room near the window talking and the computer talking. So I, I don't know. I wonder if it's that. But to me, that was a sign that spring is coming if the mm -hmm. morning doves are watching out my window. Mm -hmm. Well, and your description too, I couldn't help but hear how you described yourself with your arms in the air as if you were a bird greeting it. <laughs> right? Yes, it was yes. a great big hello. It was a very dramatic yes. gesture. And, and yes. just a little bit embarrassing in this very serious meeting, but it, it did provide some comic relief, I guess, to everybody. And, uh, and that was that was a good thing. So it all worked out just fine. Like nature is right there. It's just that there's the, the window separating you and the bird, but it's just, uh, it's out of doorstep as well so yeah I like that I like that yeah and I, I I I like nothing more than looking out the window who's visiting there's cardinals blue jays the morning doves those mm -hmm. are really the ones I've seen the most lately rabbits the odd fox mm -hmm. lots of footprints in the snow yeah yeah, that's the interesting thing about snow, how it can leave a visual trail of what, what has been there. And it has its own story. It's its own poem, I think, as well, like anything that gives that sort of visual communication, how that uh, is communicating something and also quite beautiful. Mm, I like that. Right. So so would you say then that, you know, the presence of something or the absence of something could be a poem? Mm hmm. And the presence and the absence kind of work together, I think, to make a poem as well, too. 
because there's the putting the pieces of what was there from what's seeing the remnants of the of the visit as well the the trail of of it's the past, the presence in the past. Wow, look at us. <laughs> look at us. Wow. And we're going we, we all also, over, right? <laughs> totally, totally. This is this is going to be the tangent podcast. <laughs> we don't, we don't need, we don't even so we, we're happy to have you joining us, listeners, but we kind of just go into our own little world here too. And right now we're in the bird world. So there we are. <laughs> That's right. I remember last time around when we were looking at how poems inspire other poems, you found an incredible quotation by Emily Dickinson. And I was wondering, you you know, we didn't have time to do it that day. So Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if we should start with that and have a look at that and then see where that leads us. It's actually a quote I've used in in classes. And oftentimes when I start teaching a poetry class, we'll just talk about, well, what is poetry? And you realize as well, like many things that uh, aren't easy to define, but people still try to define them or say what something is. And I think that can give us um, glimpses into what something is, but also uh, show us that it can't be captured in, in an easy way. And I think of Seamus Heaney's quote about what poetry is, and it's, he says, poetry is language in orbit. I mean, these beautiful sort of ways that we can describe poetry, but but this quote by Dickinson is the way that she knows poetry. And I think that's the other thing as well. And I think it's so tied to the body and not just the mind, but the actual body. And she says this, this is in a letter to Thomas Wentworth Higginson. So it's just pulled from a letter, but this is the quote. If I read a book and it makes my whole body so cold, no fire can ever warm me. I know that is poetry. If I feel physically as if the top of my head were taken off, I know that is poetry. These are the only ways I know. Is there another way? I love that. I love that. I've read it now a number of times and even just hearing you read it, that quotation is poetry. You know, as, as you were reading, I feel as though, and I wouldn't say that I felt my whole body was cold, but it did feel physically as if the top of my head were taken off. (laughs) 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 Because I recognize that feeling that she's describing and the, the, the knowing is a hard thing to capture, but as Emily Dickinson often does when it comes to capturing things that are, are hard to explain, she does it in such a beautiful way. Yes, and in a way too that can point in a certain direction, but also include many things at the same time. So it has that complexity. And I think as well, just even how you said this is kind of like a poem, just even hearing the rhythm of the quote, the repetition, even just the the sounds of poetry and physically and the way that it ends with a question really sort of putting it out there for the reader as well to think about. So you're, you're, you're in agreement then Jessica for, for how it is that you experience poems that do that for you or, or is that necessary for, for you and your reading of a poem or what's it like for you and what makes a poem work for you? Is there anything you wanted to say about that? Well, I got distracted initially thinking about the TV series about Emily Dickinson on mm. Apple TV. I don't know. Have you seen that called Dickinson? That's um, not answering your question well. Yeah, no, no, there, there's no, there's no answer. And, and probably you're answering like 
Emily sort of like slanted. <laughs> I, I'm going to come and in, yeah, come in sideways. Right? <laughs> and, and I guess what yeah. I was thinking of in that show, it's part fantasy, but they really showed how, like they took her poetry and they brought it to life and everything mm. had a body to it within her poetry. I do find that when I read a poem or hear a poem, it's always what I, it's, it's always somehow connected physically to the body and the best ones transcend the thought for me. So yes. I don't enter into poetry thinking it's, it, it is literally like I enter into poetry with my, my head taken off and I might not always be able to articulate the story or what it means in a way that other people are very good at doing, mm-hmm. but I could tell you where that that is placed within my body, where I feel it. And sometimes, you know, I find it helpful, like over time, I've learned ways to be able to describe that. And I do find the chakras to be a very good way to describe where it is just because they provide such a a range. (laughs) And, you know, I rarely feel a poem in my knee, for example, Mm -hmm. Um, but I might feel a poem in my throat or in my heart or down deep in the belly. So, so that's why I find that those can be a helpful tool for me to think about where that is placed. And then when I listen to a poem, even if you, you know, if you if you put your hand on your heart while you're hearing one that you feel in your heart what I find that that does is that opens up then experiences and knowings of my own come in and then it's like the two worlds mix and the two worlds meet and so it is a very physical experience over the years I've learned to give myself permission to let go of always trying to analyze everything or to be right about anything and just to feel my way through because for me I'm too much in my head So the Mm -hmm. beauty of poetry, the same thing with photography and painting for me is it does let me sink into the body a little bit more and feel like everything's connected, which is really important for me. And I'll get into that um, a little bit later because my, my process for writing poetry is also through the body first and not the head. Yeah, it's um, definitely the body is speaking and it's also, I think, radiating energy through these chakras and through wherever it starts, like a a stone in water. So I find that it's an energy that moves within me and sometimes can give you the goosebumps as well. Yeah. And it's interesting too, to sometimes know a poem that will do that. And it's so interesting when you're familiar with a poem and then you hear it aloud again. And even though you know what's coming and, and you're familiar with that poem, the body still responds in that visceral way, but it's through the actual hearing of the poem. Often it's, it, I find it more impactful when I hear a poem read aloud. And I think too, in the days when we were able to gather in person and be at poetry readings, often what would happen after a poem, there would be this silence in the room, but then you would hear a, hmm. <laughs> or you'd see people kind of nodding. And I think too, it was almost like the circuit of what poetry can do within the body and how then the body needs to move to mm-hmm. acknowledge that energy within either through the throat with the hmm or the nodding of the head, some kind of follow through in some sort of way, that physicality of what a poem can do. And I find that such a powerful thing because it's often just in this short little space that this right. powerful impact can happen. And I think that's just like, and how, how did that happen? It's just words on a page or words in the air. And it's, I just think that that's just the, one of the most magical things about poetry, how 
words in a certain order and those spaces between can create what you were describing to that sense of permeability within the body that parts of who you are, which are embedded possibly deeper than you're even aware of can sort of rise to the surface from hearing a poem and integrate into your own knowing in such a way to allow you to have a deeper knowing of something that you needed to know something at a deeper level, but didn't even know until you heard that poem. Right. And that energy you describe, I think, is something that when I when I think about the experiences I've had in my life with any of the arts, there was an energy in it that was almost indescribable. And there was there was a, a body connection. So even when I think about paintings, and I, I may have shared this story on the podcast before in previous seasons, I can't remember, but I remember going to the Musée d'Orsay in Paris for the first time years ago and seeing Monet for the first time. I wasn't a big fan of Monet prior to that moment. Um, I'd seen the images before, they were nice, but it wasn't my favorite. There was something about standing there and the energy of the painting of the water lilies. It was indescribable to Mm. me in the body in the same way that happens when I read or listen to an Emily Dickinson poem, for example. (laughs) And it's like they've connected into a universal understanding that I'm still learning how to figure out Mm. because I think the first step for me has, has been, and it's been years of practice, is just noticing when that happens and going, oh, there it is (laughs) when I read that and then to go back and then okay what just happened there usually it's because there's something in the energy of that that's connecting into my own lived experience right Mm -hmm. that it's we we are very much I think the authors of our own story the leading characters in our own (laughs) (laughs) films of our lives and so that energy is connecting to something that's personal within us and it just happens that with some things that connects to many people because there's that you know that connection of what it means to be human somehow in in something very simple like water lilies or Mm -hmm. a line of Emily Dickinson's poetry and so then the pressure I can sometimes put myself in (laughs) or under (laughs) is is then how 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 can I do that for other people what is it that I need to do in order to to do that and I found over the years singing was a place where I really tried to do that because you know music is another one that can be Uh, can transport you it can transform you connects in ways that go beyond the mind and so when I would be singing I would be thinking about how can I when I sing this song take people on a journey with me so that I can leave this as a gift for them you know Mm -hmm. so this isn't just about me up here singing a song I want this moment to be a gift in some way where I'm not at the center of it I'm surrendering the the notes and the tone Mm -hmm. and everything Mm -hmm. that's happening in the same way that I would when I write a poem so that I can connect into something so that it connects to other people and 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 we can join together in that way somehow it's the ongoing work isn't it that we have yeah yeah and it's interesting too because for you to receive the Monet in that way there's certain things that I feel and listening to you had to happen to make that happen. So there's the moment of stillness. I'm thinking, imagining you in the museum, looking at this painting and the sense of attention that you're giving to it. And then in that way, the attention then has its own sort of way of moving through you. And there's almost like a surrendering. And through that surrendering, then there's the receiving. So when I think about like the stillness, the attention, the surrender and the receiving, 
and, and all through that, it's about the connection too. And in some ways, I feel that's kind of what we're doing when we're writing a poem. We're in the stillness, we're tending to something, we're surrendering to what that is, the mystery or what it is that we need to sort of write through or towards. And the receiving of that as we move through and then have something has been brought to being and we no longer have the blank page. And there's this then connection between ourselves and the piece of writing. So there's like a a process also that's involved through the writing of, of poetry or the art form, but also in receiving what the art form is as, as we go back to Emily and how your head can be taken off and how you're changed from that moment and through the body as well, that almost like the head being taken off, the art has gone in. <laughs> so right. it's, it's part, it's part right. of, part of who you, you are, right? So yes. This and transaction. you can be standing right next to someone and yeah. they will not necessarily have that same yeah. experience at that same time because yeah. it's like you just described so beautifully. It's an alignment of energies, your energy, mm-hmm. the paintings, the moment, the attention. And even in that experience with the Monet, I was on a tour for young people. I think mm-hmm. I was about 30 and there was about seven other people in my group that were working their way through gallery that day. And they all went and stood out on the balcony and there I am weeping in front of the water lilies Yeah, and they kept coming and saying well like we gotta go we want to go see napoleon's tomb and i'm like well how can you leave this yeah (laughs) yeah and they didn't understand me and i didn't understand them and you know it made for a long three weeks after that because it was a turning point in that relationship with people i didn't know it was a tour Mm -hmm. where i had had this very surprising and profound experience with a painting I would never have predicted I would have had it with. Mm-hmm. And they were very much just walking around as though you know, it just wasn't their, their, their moment. They might yeah. have that moment with something else another day, or they might come back another day and things would align in that way for them. Yeah. And so when I write a poem, it's that same sort of surrender. Like it would have felt like that day looking at the water lilies. It's, it's that taking a moment to pay attention and to tune in to the energy to feeling and I find I'm not one to pay attention to my feelings very often I kind of just pretend they're not there which is what it is mm-hmm. but when I do and when I was working on my latest poetry book I really wanted to understand or connect in and so I have a poem I wanted to share yes um, that was part of that experience for me of putting words to feelings to better understanding what is there and and this is this is similar to the last poem that I shared with you about seeing and seeing things in different ways. This is again a theme along that. This still happens to me when I'm out for walks. It happened the other day. At this time of year, there are little leaves stuck to branches, like dead leaves left over from the fall. Mm-hmm. And my mind always thinks that they're butterflies. And I'll think, why is there a butterfly at this time of year? And then as I get closer, maybe it's because I need to wear my glasses, but as I get closer, (laughs) I realize, oh, that's a dead leaf iced to a branch. And so that was kind of where this poem began, but it's also talking about what it feels to be connected in the body. When I went through a really rough time a couple of years ago, where I remembered some things from my past, the most miraculous thing 
well, there are many miraculous things, but the one I'll talk about today is I didn't realize that I wasn't in my body and that I was completely detached for probably more than 20 years. And so Mm. I remember the moment and it was such a glorious moment in the midst of all of this pain when I realized I had hands. So here I am as a woman in my forties, looking at my hands for the first time and realizing, oh my God, I have hands attached to my body. And then I wiggled my toes. (gasps) I have toes attached (laughs) to my body. How did I not know this? Like it was the most bizarre. It was both an in-body and out-of-body experience all at once as the energies realigned within me, my everything reattached itself as part of that healing process. And so this is that poem. Season change. In winter, she sleeps, a dead butterfly iced to a branch. Sharp winds sting the absence of a cocoon, yet she wakes to no hands as the first spring morning attached to arms, to shoulders, to neck, fingers flying like hawks. The inside of life at last, summer as bright, feathers grow every day, a peacock expanding in the garden of truth. Tiptoeing into new shoes, bigger than an elephant's, she realizes it's time to fly into generous spaces left by falling leaves. Mm, Thank you for that, Jessica. You're welcome. Yeah. And although viewers can't see the poem, it's very grounded in its phrases, the way it moves from line to line and stanza to stanza. So it's kind of holding this weight, I feel that it moves through, which adds to the sort of spaces between and the movement within the poem. And I love that ice to a branch it's such a wonderful phrase and the idea too as you've said about not seeing what's there and seeing what you need to see and how the shift then can happen in that perception and be such a powerful moment but the whole way that sleeping is also an activity as well too and that's where so much change can happen and the body heals itself as well mm-hmm. um, and also feeds in my mind the imagination with dreams and all of the inside of life that Uh, another phrase within your poem and the transformation that that can be and left by falling leaves. I love the, the image too, as it's continuing to fall, it's not fallen, but falling. So there's a continuation of process through the imagery of the image moving in the reader's mind as they are leaving with that image within the poem. Yeah. And season change, you think too, how words can be more than one thing and how season can be a noun as one of the seasons, but also a verb. We can season change as well too. Right. So, um, and change can be a noun and change can be a verb. And so I just love that how when titles can do different things and be in that sort of slippery space of, is it this or is it that? And it can be both. And it can be more than that as well, too. And I think that's what one of the things that poetry does so beautifully is hold all that complexity because Mm -hmm. everything is complex. (laughs) It's uh, even black and white isn't black and white, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, and I'm fascinated having gone through that experience. I'm still standing in the same spot that I may have stood in a week ago, for example, yet everything's mm-hmm. different. I see different. I feel different in my body. My mind is different. You know, when you think about loss, sometimes we think about everything we're losing. I think that's a natural way to go. Mm-hmm. It was in this time that I started to really notice the space that was left, the opportunity, the knowing that new growth is going to come that this is this is just 
part of a cycle. It's going to be okay. Just that comfort that nature provides in terms of how it teaches us that things are going to move and change all the time. Yeah. So it was an important moment. And that was very much a poem that for me, when I wrote it, it came out of the feeling in the body and trying to capture that, that relationship that we're exploring here today between the body and poetry, I think is a really important connection. Sometimes when I'm with uh, poets throughout the schools and, and I'm thinking about you know, teachers that I would engage with or students who are just starting out with poetry and their entry point is often through the mind. Even, you know, I was in in an English class not too long ago and uh, a poem was read and I wondered, okay, are there other ways for us to read this poem than just through the mind? And I think of the medicine wheel and I think about the four directions, just like the four seasons, right? And think about how can we enter into a poem through the spirit through emotion, through the mind and the body, and how are they all working together in that reading and reflection. So lots to think about there. I know uh, this is something I think we'll come back to again as we <laughs> as we go, but I want to make sure that we have a look at, because you brought one of my favorite poems. So speaking of being in an English class and um, working with students years ago, you used to come and visit my English classes when I was an English teacher, and you are so compelling as a speaker and such a wonderful educator. I always loved having you in and so did the students. And the poem that you emailed me this week is one that I remember fondly from Mm. you sharing it with students. I would love for you to tell us the story of that and to read it for us. Oh, thanks, Jessica. And thanks for all your kind words. It's as you know, there's always that vulnerability of sharing work and sharing your story. And if it hadn't been for the grief and the loss, I don't know if I ever would have become a poet, but it almost felt like I was pushed into it. And so I I appreciate that. It's really, it's really about making those connections and and just being honest with your own story to allow students to sort of see how they can enter into whatever art form or whatever it is that they need to do and to trust that to trust that opening for them whatever that that opening is and it doesn't always have to be something as devastating as grief it can be joy too (laughs) so but this poem that I'll share with the listeners now too is from my first book pupa and pupa is also connected to the word doll so there's a series of doll poems within this book and this was, I think, the first doll poem that, that I wrote. And, and again, I found that sort of poems will lead to other poems. And I don't necessarily know that initially, but then I'll sort of see these patterns and I'll think, yeah, there's more here to mine. And so then I realized I wanted to know more about dolls and I did research and then thought about my own connection to dolls. But this is a poem titled Worry Dolls. And I do actually own these worry dolls <laughs> and they're from my childhood and my aunt actually did give them to me. So sometimes poems can kind of have a sort of biographical connection where they're based on some kind of truth. And sometimes they're they're not based on truth in that sort of, sort of direct way, but more often in an emotional truth. But this poem did come from this actual little box of worry dolls. And I did keep it by my bed and I did take them out. And for listeners not familiar with worry dolls, you they're in this little box and, and you take them out and you tell the doll your worry and then the, the doll does the worrying for you. And supposedly you have a good night's sleep. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if it ever did work, but they're cute. <laughs> so anyway, one day I started thinking about these dolls and thinking, well, are they really going to want to do all the worrying? And what would that be like? And so this is the poem Worry Dolls. A souvenir from Guatemala, an aunt's gift for a little girl. 
six wiry dolls in spicy clothes tucked inside a bamboo box. Take one out for every worry. Let them worry while you sleep. In her dreams, the dolls grow angry. We have worries for you to keep. Wow, every time I hear you read that one, my head pops off. <laughs> it's got that effect on me uh, because uh, first, you know, often, and you did this for me before we started uh, recording today is you have the worry dolls there with you. So thinking about and connecting back to this idea of something connected to the body, it's something tangible in your hand, you were holding up into the video. Yeah, these are the worry dolls. I have them right here. Mm -hmm. And so you have that and the energy within that. And then you start going through this story of the dolls and you feel really good. And you're thinking, oh, this is lovely. And then you've got the twist, right? And in her dreams, the dolls grow angry. Yeah. We have worries for you to keep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it leads you back to the top, right? And then you read it again and then you end up on this loop. I know that when I've heard you read it in the past and again today, it almost transports me to this moment with, I want to hold the dolls and just look at them and, and listen for what they have to say. And, and I want to understand this little girl in the poem, how is she doing with these dolls that grow angry? Mm. Um, because we wouldn't expect that out of a gift. We wouldn't expect a gift to be something that could bring that into, into our dreams. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting, the word listen that you just used there, I think there's something to just sort of listen to objects. And in this mm -hmm. case, worry dolls, which are obviously objects and these little things in a box and how our imagination can go into these places too as as writers as artists as poets and imagine what it would be like to be the other to be the something that doesn't have a voice and what might that thing or it or he or she or however we want to pronoun the thing like what what would happen there if this object had a voice and what I think too about thinking about what it would be like for a worry doll and thinking that's not fun no. <laughs> to, to do all the worrying all night. A little wee right? worry doll and they're tiny, right? <laughs> Carrying all that. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's fascinating too, that there is a doll with a function because oftentimes we think of dolls, oh, they're something you play with and, and they're just, mm. you know, they, they have a certain look, but this is a doll with a purpose. And I think that's so fascinating too, that I'd like to know more about the history of worry dolls. I wish I could share more about that, but the idea too, of, of uh, somebody decided to, to have this little doll do that. So it's interesting too, to see how obviously it came from someone's worry. So that idea too, of how we can help ourselves by doing something to help us transfer that worry to, to something else. And, and, and because it isn't a real doll or a real doll, as if dolls are real, they aren't they, but a real a sort of <laughs> something that's alive with a heartbeat, it's not damaging something. So, but at the same time, when you're a child, your toys are real to you. So yes. It's, and and again, I think it's that imagination is real too. Even if something didn't happen, you can go into those spaces and feel as if something did happen. So just as you were saying about story and being pulled into stories. So again, it's that sort of permeability from one thing to another, which I find really fascinating and how you can move in those spaces and make 
these things connect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's so much for us to talk about, Catherine. I feel, <laughs> I feel there's just so much, but but I really I really love how this poem connects back to the quote by Emily Dickinson too, and it also connects back to the poem that you shared with us in the last episode. It also connects back to some of the story you shared with us in the second episode. And so one of the things I'm just so enjoying with this ongoing conversation that we're having is that the threads seem to be around and picking things up and then looping back. And it's been just quite fascinating to just see where the conversation leads with you. And I look forward to figuring out where we end up next time. Me too. And I think it will figure out for us too, won't it? I think so. All we have to do is just sort of listen and uh, it will appear. Yeah. So um, thank you, Jessica. And lovely to to hear your poem and to be brought into a place of what poetry can do. And if you even if our heads do come off, we can put them back on. So we're we're pretty safe here too. <laughs> thank goodness for that. Yes. <laughs> and so we finish our chat with just another day by the talented Shannon Linton. <laughs> It's just a